Good morning, men, and welcome for joining the Everyman Livestream, and more importantly, welcome for being a part of the Everyman Movement. My name is Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Everyman, and uh, while Kenny is out uh, doing uh, the Lord's work and literally being dangerously good, I get to be with you here this morning. So this morning's message is titled, Tactical Retreat. A tactical retreat is said to be leaving a position that you are in that is no longer defensible, where you are feeling overwhelmed, and you will leave that location to find yourself in a location where you can regroup and sometimes reload and re-engage. And we are going to look at one of the most infamous tactical retreats from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis 39. So you should um, have the notes in front of you. If you don't, you can access them from the Facebook page or you can access them from the Everyman website. But this gives you an opportunity to jot down notes as we're talking. I'll give you some fill-ins and hopefully you can refer to this at a later date. Um, and this can continue to be food that you can be nourished with for quite some time. So we're going to be in Genesis 39 beginning at verse number 7. And like I said, one of the most infamous tactical retreats that the Bible has to offer us. It reads, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Although he, he spoke or she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master, his master, came home. Then she told him this story. That slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story... His wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So a little backstory on Joseph. If you're not quite familiar, familiar with where he kind of fits into the Old Testament, briefly, Joseph is the youngest son of Jacob. And his brothers are very jealous of the love that his father has for Joseph, so much so that they create a plan where they sell him to slavery so that he is no longer a part of their family. And they go back to their father, Jacob, and tell him that he was actually killed. They create a crime scene, if you will, and so that they can take Joseph out of the picture. Well, good things happen to Joseph, and he finds favor with the people where he's a servant. In this particular case, he works for a man named Potiphar. And he 
finds himself in this challenging situation where he's dealing with, with Potiphar's wife. Joseph had the ability to look at a situation to see how dangerous it was, to see the capability of that danger, the short-term capability and the long-term capability, and more importantly, to act upon it. Quite often, we find ourselves in, in situations that are dangerous, but we don't recognize that it is that, that it's dangerous. We don't recognize the capability and we allow ourselves to remain in that dangerous situation. Now, I told you that I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Everyman. Um, I'm also um, one of the men's pastors at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, but I'm also a police officer and have been for 27 years. And I'm reminded of a, of a story um, that while I was working patrol many years ago, uh, that this, this lady had called the sheriff's department and we'd been called to her house because she had found this box of stuff in her garage. And her husband, had a hobby of making his own um, handgun rounds and, and rifle rounds and shotgun rounds. So he had all the materials necessary for making his own rounds rather than going to the store and purchasing them. So um, this was not an uncommon thing. We would collect this, this material from her, would, could, be, could be dangerous, and we would safely book it for them. So uh, I collected it, I put it in my car, and um, I was going to lunch. It was lunchtime. There's, there's two things a police officer does while he's working patrol. Every opportunity that you have. Use the bathroom when you can and you eat when you can. And it was time to eat. So I was going to drive to lunch. So on my way to lunch, I'm re remembering that I need to know that there's some steps that I need to consider when I'm booking this material in for safekeeping, as we call it. So I called somebody from our hazardous device squad, our bomb squad. And he's a friend of mine. I'd known him for a long time. And I said, hey, this lady had this stuff. Um, and I need to know what to do with it. And I explained to him everything that she had had. And he says to me this, well, whatever you do, don't move it, step away from it, and we'll have somebody from the bomb squad come out and take a look at it and collect it. And when he said that, I paused for a moment. And he says, are you there? And I said, yeah. And he said, you moved it. And I said, yeah. And he said, are you driving? And I said, yeah. He said, so you moved it and it's in your car and you're moving now. And I said, yeah. He says, well, you know, it can't be that volatile. Otherwise you would have blown up by now. And I said, so what do I do? He says, well, stop moving and we'll send somebody from the bomb squad to collect it. Otherwise, bro, you're about to blow up. So I pulled over into a parking lot and we set a little perimeter around my vehicle, and embarrassingly so, my friends from the bomb squad came out and had a good laugh because I had literally almost blown myself up. I did not recognize this dangerous situation. I didn't recognize the dangerous capabilities, and I certainly didn't respond well. Joseph had that capability to do that. So as I mentioned, hopefully you have some notes in front of you. I'm gonna give you some fill-ins, and your first fill-in here is you need to be able to identify the danger to identify the danger, identify the explosive material. Joseph wasn't dealing with black powder and, and uh, different types of bullet making material, literally something that was could explode, but this was an explosive situation for Joseph. We have to be able to acknowledge the moment when we find ourselves in an explosive situation so that we can begin to, to act appropriately. Now this explosive situation for David the obvious was it's Potiphar's wife, you know. So, you know what's interesting, and I don't know about your Bible, there's not a picture of Potiphar 
in my Bible. We don't even get to know her name. And maybe I'm being a little overly transparent, but I kind of have an idea of possibly what Potiphar's wife looks like. You, you, you hearing me right now? So Joseph is, is posed with, you know, Potiphar's wife and she's coming on to him. And in my head, she's probably an attractive woman. So the dangerous situation for Joseph is, is it's Potiphar's wife. She's coming on to him like that. And she's, she's more than likely a beautiful woman. And so he has just the normal temptation that exists in a grown man. So that's the, the danger, the explosive situation that Joseph is in. That's what's dangerous to Joseph. Now, on your notes, if you have them, typically we have the questions at the end of the message. I have placed the questions throughout the message. And so there's lines there. And so when I ask you the questions, I give you the opportunity now, but definitely later to jot down answers to those questions because they probably won't come to you immediately. So we know what Joseph's explosive situation was. I ask you. What people, what things, what situation puts you in danger? Where you, you are in danger of something happening, something that's short-term, that's going to complicate your life, that's going to challenge your life, something in the long-term. Now, I'm going to ask that question again in just a little bit. But I, I, by the end of this, or shortly after, we want to be able to identify these things. This is a good thing, where we can look at a situation and realize, hey, there's a problem here and I should not be in the middle of this problem or otherwise I am in one way or another going to be harmed. So first, we have to be able to identify the danger. Secondly, we have to identify the danger's capability, right? The capability. Joseph had the ability to see just what the long-term impact of this situation is. Imagine, it's very easy for a man in a situation to see the situation that the lust of his flesh is being fed in the moment, his pride is being fed, and in that moment, we get so distracted in the short term that we don't see the long term. Joseph knew the worst case scenario, right? He knew what the worst case scenario was. We need to be able to be in a situation and say, I, so I see how this story ends, right? I see how this story ends. It reminds me of a movie, a great movie, Armageddon. Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Aerosmith has the main song in the movie and it's a completely legitimate movie, 100% accurate. They take these guys that drill for oil in the ocean and they transplant them into space and they drill into uh, a meteor and they drill in with a nuclear weapon so that they can save the earth. Completely legitimate. But there's this great scene and Owen Wilson's one of the characters and he's a little bit nervous. They're being briefed on just what the environment is up there and what to expect and he asked the question, what's it going to be like up there? And one of the characters looks at him is probably a little bit annoyed by Owen Wilson's question. He looks at him and he says, it's going to be 200 degrees in the sun. It's going to be minus 200 degrees in the shade. It's going to be completely volatile environment. There's going to be gravitational pulls that are confusing. There's going to be explosions going along all around. You're going to be walking on shards of sharp rock. And Owen Wilson interrupts him. He says, stop, stop. Okay, so just worst imaginable ever. That's, that, that's all you had to say, worst imaginable imaginable ever. Owen Wilson was recognizing what the worst case scenario was and Joseph knew what the worst case scenario was. And what that does is that gives us all the intelligence that we need. It gives us the intelligence to need to say, I can't defend this situation that I'm in. I am in danger, 
right? I am in danger. Joseph had the opportunity, right? I can either run away or I'm going to get dragged away, right? I want to be in control of what's happening to me right now, and I don't want to be dragged away, so I'm going to run away. James 1, 14 to 15 gives us this kind of this sequence of events that, that starts with us being tempted. It adds our evil desires. It results in sin. And then you see what the final outcome is. And like I said, Joseph knew what the long-term impact was. So James 1, 14 to 15 reads, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Joseph was able to do the math in the story and he knew how this story ended. He knew that, that this pathway that could be created by these, by these bad decisions that he made. And on your notes, I have a phrase that says pathway to destruction. And we're just going to break down what that passage says in James. It says, but each person is tempted, tempted when they are dragged away. And here's your first fill-in, by their own evil desire, right? By their own evil desire, right? It says, the person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire, he goes on and says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to, and your second fill-in is sin. Temptation happens when you're dragged away by your own evil desire. It conceives, and what it does it conceive? It conceives sin, right? And what is the result of that? What happens is it gives birth to death. That's your final fill-in here. This pathway destruction, you get temptation, evil desire, turns into sin. And what's the consequence of sin? Consequence of sin is death. It would have been very easy for Joseph to look at the situation. This beautiful woman is, is talking to him, is flirting with him, offering him up all sorts of things that probably feel good to him in the flesh. It says in the scripture, there's nobody around. Nobody's going to see this, but he knows what happens to this sin, right? He knows what the final outcome is of this. So we need to identify the danger Identify the dangerous capability. And third, we have to appreciate the blast zone. I love using that phrase. If you've been listening to Pastor Kenny for any period of time, you recall that phrase, appreciate the blast zone, right? Because a lot of times it's real easy for us to look at the short term and potentially even say, what does this look like to me, right? But it goes beyond that, right? The sins in our life, it go beyond just us. It leaks into other areas into our life, other our families, in our friendships, right? And we can see just, just exactly how, how broad that blast is, right? How broad that blast is. God has really blessed me um, with this ability in the moment of making decisions. Most of the time I can say I've, I've made some pretty, pretty dandies in my life as far as bad decisions. But in looking at a situation and really kind of assessing so like Owen Wilson was, so what's it going to be like up there? And I have the ability to say, you know, what kind of what the worst case scenario is. I, I can really see how this bad decision is going to impact me. And I'll just give you an example when it pertains to my marriage and the sanctity of my marriage and my ability to try and prevent doing anything that's going to compromising that, right? Anything that's going to compromise the sanctity of my marriage. And just to get real specific, one of the reasons why I don't consider the possibility of, of ever cheating on my wife is I know how this story ends. 
I know just how badly this ends up for me and the impact it is for my family, the impact it is for my relationships. I, I see how big the blast zone is. And, you know, jokingly aside, I, I have two daughters and I know that they wouldn't be happy with me. And I can kind of say in a sarcastic tone, one of them, I'm pretty sure is okay with going to prison. If I ever would, was, had the ability to compromise my relationship with my wife, I know how that story ends. I see that, that blast zone and how bad it can be. And Joseph had that capability and we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to see just what was going on here. Joseph understood his blast zone. When we look at verses eight and verses nine, he is speaking to Potiphar's wife and he's saying, I know what's going to happen here. Your first fill in here is, is Joseph knew his blast zone was an abuse of trust, okay? An abuse of trust. He knew that he was abusing the trust of his master. Look at where Joseph had come from. He had been sold into slavery, left for dead, taken from his family, and he had found himself in this place where he was in control of all of the things in his master's house, right? And he was going to abuse that trust. So that's the first part of his blast zone. Secondly, he says he, this was going to be an offense against her husband. It was going to be an offense against her husband. He says to her, you are his wife. He's reminding her of that. He's reminding himself of that, but he's reminding her of that. I'm going to abuse my master's trust. And by the way, I'm going to abuse another woman's husband because you are his wife. And then finally, most importantly, and here's the long-term perspective. The third feeling is this was a sin against God. This was a sin against God. Yes, it was going to compromise his job. It was going to compromise his relationship with another man's Another, um, another man's husband, another woman's husband, excuse me, but more importantly, is going to compromise his relationship with God. Right? He could see exactly what that looked like. David understood amidst his sin that he wasn't just sinning against Bathsheba. He wasn't just sinning against his, her husband. These much of his sins were directed at people, but David had the ability to truly understand, just like Joseph was in the moment, right, that he was sinning against God. Psalm 51, 4 says, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. The primary impact of our sin is, yes, we might be sinning against a person, we might be sinning in a situation, but... Joseph, David, and us need to recognize that blast zone is us sinning against God. So we need to understand the danger. We need to understand the dangerous capability. We need to understand the blast zone of that danger and the pathway to destruction that temptation and sin results in death. And we need to have the ability to know in the moment when I'm in danger. Now, Joseph in that passage, in Genesis 39, 11, it reads, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Now, Potiphar's wife had come to him multiple times in the past and had greeted them in this way and had flirted with him in this way. And potentially when he knew that there were other people around, that he had somebody preventing that from happening. He certainly had somebody witnessing it happening. In this situation, it was different. So what happens as soon as she comes to him and says, go to bed with me, he bails. He recognized, I'm overrun here. 
I can't continue to defend the situation in, and I have to tactically retreat to a place where I can be safe, where I can re-engage, where I can reload and be in a safer situation. But we have to have that ability to know when I'm in danger. So here I ask you again, right? Here I ask you again, what are times when you are in danger? Okay, what are times when you are in danger? And once again, on your notes, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to write this down. So I'll give you a couple examples. And these are, these are right from me. And the first is, I know when I'm in danger when I am alone. When I am alone. Now, the example with Joseph is he's in a house. He's dealing with temptation. He's dealing with this woman. We don't have to be in a place. We don't have to be with a person or in a situation to be in danger. For me, it's when I'm by myself. The danger is, is occupied within my own headspace, right? And I'll tell you, it's typically at the end of the day. It's when my head hits the pillow. It's That's when temptation thoughts bounce around in my head. That's when, you know, I stress about work and the things that I, that I want to be able to control that I can't. That's when the challenges of relationships come in my life and I start to feel like I get overrun. It's, it's when, when I'm alone. My wife, probably two or three times a week, will wake up and she will get up and, and, and go to the restroom or do whatever she's going to do. And she's going to see me sitting next to her in bed. And I have my Bible open. Um, and she can see my book light. I have my iPad open. I have, I have my, uh, my phone open. Because she knows I can't get to sleep. And my head is running around um, like crazy, keeping me up and, and keeping me stressed out. That's one time when I'm in danger. Second, in addition to when I'm alone, is when I'm overconfident. I do my best, and I recommend this to you, the same advice, okay? And I, and I put it in quotes on your handout. It says, I got this. Whenever you're faced with a situation and you're saying things like, don't worry, I don't need help with this, I got this, okay? I try and do my best to pump the brakes just for a moment when I'm saying those words and saying, okay, have I, why am I so overconfident? And am I overconfident because I'm missing something? Am I missing something? And, and do I need to, to consider this just a little bit more? So those are two examples when I'm in danger. And, and as, as long as I've been in men's ministries, these are pretty common amongst men. But I give you the opportunity to answer the question, when are you in danger? Now, you probably responded to this in one of two ways. Hopefully, when I asked the question, you started listing things maybe like me, when I'm overconfident, when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, whatever that might be. Hopefully, you were listing those things. That's a good thing. You have come to start to identify times when you're in danger. Now, perhaps you're somebody who you don't quite know when you're in danger. You don't know what to put down on this. There's your mission. There's your prayer request. Because we need to know what our strengths are, right? But we also need to know what our weaknesses are and what our threats are, right? And when we know that, when we can observe that, we make better choices. So when we're in that danger, when we find ourselves in that complicated situation, we got to have a plan. And what was Joseph's plan? Just like Ryan Forrest Gump was, he was running, right? Our plan is run, right? Our plan is to run, to back out, to tactically retreat, to find ourselves in a safer location where we can re-engage and reload 
and, and, and be doing what we're supposed to be doing. 2 Timothy 2.22 reads, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. It says flee. Now, one of the biggest challenges of a tactical retreat are this. First, it's having the ability to say, you know what? I'm being overrun. I'm about to be overtaken. That's a hard decision to make. Secondly, is when you give up ground, it's usually harder to take back. That's one of the, the biggest challenges from, from retreating because you know it's going to be even more difficult and require even more resources to take it back. Think about Joseph. Think about the ground that he was given up by Balaam. Thinking about, you know, he was, now he was going to lose his job. He was probably going to go back to prison. All these bad things. He was going to have to start from scratch again. But he was able to make that decision. He was able to run. So you ask the question, so, so where do I run? This is your next villain. You run to God. Right? You run to God. As I stated, a tactical retreat is going to a place that provides you with safety, right? provides you with opportunity to, to gather your thoughts and, and to reinvigorate. Probs, Proverbs 18.10 reads, God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. If you've been going to church for a long time, you recognize the song that comes from this passage in the lyrics of the song read, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. There's this picture of a well-fortified tower that we have access to, that the righteous have access to, that the helpless have access to. And it's this tower. The greatest thing that you can have, the greatest tactical advantage you can have over an enemy is having overwatch. Overwatch is you are at a place of advantage that's higher than they are. You have much more capability defending your situation from overwatch. The name of the Lord is a strong structure that's well above the enemy that provides us with the overwatch necessary to keep us safe. We run to God. You say, so what do you mean you, you run to God? That's anything you do in your life when you are spending time with God. You wake up in the morning and you spend in time in God's word. That's the name of the Lord. You wake up in the morning and you close your eyes and you have prayer with God. That's the name of the Lord. You have worship with God. You have fellowship with God. You spend time with God. That's us running to God. That place is a place where we run to that we have cover and we have concealment and we have the ability to regroup what's going on in our life. We have the, the ability to pump more rounds into our magazines and to re-engage with the enemy. That's the name of the Lord. So we run and we run to God. Psalm 31, one to two says, I run to you, God, for dear life. Don't let me down, take me seriously this time. Get down on my level and listen and please no procrastination. Your granite cave, a hiding place, your high cliff are a place of safety. This picture that is painted by the writer of this psalm, this location, it's made of granite, it's high, I'm protected there. That's what happens when we run to God, that we are safe. And then third, we run to a partner. You run to your partner. Right? You, you run to the person that's going to keep you safe. 
Um, in my 27 years of law enforcement, I had the good fortune to spend 13 years on the SWAT team. And we would do these drills and we called them man down drills. And what it was is if you and I um, were in a situation and, and you had somehow been compromised, perhaps it's some type of injury, you had some type of malfunction with your weapon system, but something was happening that was preventing you from being able to engage with the enemy. And now I'm 6'6", and um, if I was, we are walking down a hallway or we are going down a path, I'm going to be behind you. You don't want somebody as large as me in front of you because you won't be able to see anything. But if you're my partner, the way you're going to convey that message to me that you need help is you're going to take a knee. You taking a knee tells me that something's going on with you that prevents you from being able to engage the enemy. That's you telling me I need help. When you take a knee, my automatic reaction to that is I'm going to step over the top of you. And I'm going to place myself between the enemy and between you because you are my partner. And in that moment, you don't have the capability of defending that ground. And I'm going to defend it for you because I'm your partner. There are people in your life. You need to have people in your life that are close enough in proximity, that understand the nature of circumstances in your life, that they see when you take a knee that they're going to step over the top of you and they're going to put themselves between the enemy and, and you and provide that protection, right? Because you gotta have people in your life that are close enough to have that capability of doing that. And you allow them with that information and without access to do that. Ecclesiastes 4, nine to 10, it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So like Joseph, we need to, to recognize that we in times in our lives find ourselves in dangerous situations, to recognize the, the capability of that danger, to recognize the blast zone and just how far the impact is going to be. And then we need to come up with a plan. And the plan is that we run and we run to a place of safety. We run to a God and we run to our partners so that we can find ourselves in a place of safety, in a strong tower that's fortified, surrounded with people that love us, that we can regroup, we can re-engage, and we can reload and do what we need to do. So if you are that man right now, right, and, and you are finding yourselves in a situation where you feel like you overrun, I'm going to say a prayer for us and to pray for you specifically. So would you bow your heads? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this great place in Scripture, this man of God that provides us with, with great information for us to learn from and information when we find ourselves in a situation that we are overrun. I'm praying for the man right now that feels like that he is about to be overrun. I pray, Lord, that you would give him a plan, a tactical retreat where he could find safety in you, where he could find safety in your strong tower, and that you can find the safety of his brothers, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the men who are listening. I pray that, that they, are, that they are, have run to you, Lord, that they have run to your part, their partners and so that they can be protected. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. And all God's men said, amen. Thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, hope to see you again really soon. Have a good day.